Katerina stepped out of the limousine with an air of confidence and superiority that came to her as easy as breathing. Her eyes were hidden behind the large sunglasses she wore, but there was no mistaking the self-assured smirk on her lips as she strode down the red carpet, while cameras pointed in her directions all smattered off in a cacophony of sounds and lights. For the evening's premiere, the young European heiress was wearing a downright scandalous piece designed for her by the famous international fashionista De Geer, and her date for the night, whose arm she held onto only with the bears of touch, seemed as modest as a cloistered nun in comparison as they strode into the cinema together. Of course they would be writing about that, Katerina knew, and eventually she would receive a call from her mother about it, a call she would ignore until she felt like answering, if she ever would. Eventually the calls would stop, and at that point she knew she would have to do something else to raise her mother's blood pressure. Katerina Sturza had no idea what movie this was, and roughly 20 minutes into it, she got up from her seat, ignoring the hushed question of concern from her date, and headed outside into the foyer, resisting the urge to head straight over to the bar. She'd promised her brother she wouldn't be caught drunk on another tabloid front page for at least the rest of the year, and she wanted to at least try to keep her promise. Not to your taste. A man whom she hadn't spotted asked her and she instinctively held up her hand to cover her face, just in case he was going to try to get a candid photo. But when she realized who it was, she lowered her hand, but her eyes remained narrowed behind her sunglasses. Anthony? What the hell are you doing here? Did mother... Your mother did not send for me. He brushed her concerns away. But she did tell me you trashed your hotel room three nights back. His voice grew more quiet. Your mother had to spend a significant amount of money to... My mother didn't have to do anything, Katerina bit back, but the shock was clear on her face. What, what did she tell you? Nothing I could not figure out myself. Antony, shorter than the statuesque heiress, lit a cigarette in the foyer, ignoring the looks of people around him. He took a deep drag of it and sighed, looking at Katerina through the smoke. Let's go outside so we can speak of this in private. There is a small balcony, reserved, usually, but I will have access. She followed behind, focusing on the prominent bald spot at the back of the man's head. Antony had been with her family for as long as she could remember, but last she saw him was still back in Romania. Your mother did not send me, Antony continued as he offered the door for her to the balcony outside, but she knew I would come. Your Senji Poternik came out, and you need guidance. Look, I don't care what mother told you. Like I said, she did not send me. I sent myself. Anthony, who had always remained a humble and soft-spoken presence in her life, suddenly spoke to her quite frankly. You changed that night. And it is only through sheer luck that no one died. I am here to make sure it does not happen again. Katerina felt the retort die on her lips as she remembered how she had woken up, clothes torn to shreds, the room in an even worse state. She stared at him. Let me tell you the story of the Shadow Lords, Katarina. Antony took another drag of his cigarette and looked out over the busy streets below. And then you may ask questions. Antony offered her a cigarette, and she took it gratefully, letting him light it for her. Trust me with this, Surchele. Our people were created a long, long time ago in order to preserve balance. The details, for now, are not important. I will tell you later, or others will, but know that our kind, your kind and mine, exist to ensure that the world does not suffer imbalance. Things must be born, must live, and must die. 
There are many like us, Garu we are called, and among us there are tribes, each tribe having its own idea of how to best ensure this balance. Our tribe, the Shadow Lords, received our name for our methods. We saw that humanity, the largest source of imbalance in the world, could not be controlled from afar, as we settled in the vast plains of Asia. Thus, instead, we decided to rule them from within, to intermingle with the humans and their nobility so that we could steer them clear of their worst indulgences. This was foolhardy, perhaps, as while we are both wolf and man, don't look at me like that, Surtzele, you know what you are. I suspect you knew, even before your change. But yes, as we are both wolf and man, we can become victims of their follies, and so we did. As we manipulated humanity, so too did it us, and many have been the times when human concerns have guided our tribe more than Gaia's, our mother. When the Imperium began, when our kind would attempt to call humanity for having grown too large and too difficult to control, we partook, of course, to the best of our abilities. Even as we cried tears of blood, as we slew our friends, our family and our loved ones. We were nobles, but there was another tribe of those as well, the Silver Fangs. These Fangs hungered for the adoration of their peers, and we saw in them a tool to help guide. We would ensure that they inspired and led our lesser brethren to let us take the blame for whatever atrocities they deemed necessary and they in turn would lead well and wisely, unite us all and be our best. It was a good solution, one would think, but alas it would not last. But I will speak of that later. The War of Rage is a long and complicated story, again something I will teach you of when you are older, but the lesson is short and easy to remember. We acted on behalf of our leaders and the world is worse off for it. We wiped out our allies because of pride and misguided wrath. Temper your fury, Katarina, and never kill without knowing the consequences of it. Killing must be a conscious choice, not a misguided gut reaction. After the War of Rage and after the Imperium, we swore to let mankind be. We would not wipe them out or call them because we took pity on them and because none of the tribes could agree on a good solution. Thus, we let them procreate and therefore humanity now controls the world. Yes, young kindling, you and I, we are not humanity, even if we look the part. Once we stopped killing the humans, they prospered. Funny that, hmm? They began to settle down, grow plants, make tools that in turn made them more and more efficient at surviving. Eventually they were without natural predators, and us Garu, we were still licking our wounds after the war and arguing over what to do about the monkeys. And during this time, you had empires rising and falling all over the world. The humans would wage their wars against each other, which I supposed help our ancestors push the decision forward. After all, why bother killing them if they did the job themselves? Eventually, however, one such empire became too big even for us to ignore it. The Roman Empire expanded rapidly, much thanks to two tribes of note, one of them of course being the Silver Fangs, the other one called the Wardens of Men, they are called Glasswalkers these nights. Long story short, we were there too, but to a lesser capacity, as they were not really our people, even if their affairs eventually became ours too, considering how our kinfolk were integrated into their growing domain. Ah, yes, kinfolk. Your mother is one, your father is not. Well, your real father is one of ours, but 
Don't give me that look, child. The man you think of as your father is in all but a small and insignificant part. You can ask your mother about it. I assure you it was for the good of our tribe. Now then, as I was saying, the Roman Empire was a big sign for us that things were changing. And they were changing fast. We occasionally aided the Silver Fangs in ensuring their leadership. But we struggled as well. The eastern borders of Rome, our domain, was a hotbed of conflicts, invasions and uprisings, and it kept us busy. Eventually, however, we had to turn our weapons on the Empire as well, and it's a good thing we did. We managed to keep the humans in check, I've been told, and if we hadn't, who knows if we all would not be speaking Latin now. Christianity made its entrance here, and while we can laugh it off now, at the time, it changed everything. Yes, I know you've read the history books, I was there helping you with your homework, but the Christian church was a threat to our kind in more ways than you might think. Human institutions were, and still are, generally leaders with hard powers. Kings and queens with armies and money enough to back them up, today politicians, but essentially the same thing. But the church? The church had faith, and through faith, it exercised power over more people, eventually, than we could have imagined. It did not simply direct armies, it directed ways of life. And with them came the va- Yes, the vampires, you heard correct child. They are enemies of ours, and especially of our tribe. Our homeland in the Carpathians were, and to some extent are, riddled with them. The vampires are master of civilization. Where it flourishes, so do they. Some of our tribes are better at integrating ourselves with humanity, us included, but never with the same ease as the leeches do. And they make even our most skilled manipulators pale in comparison with their endless, timeless scheming. And that is where we came in. For while the Silver Fangs and Wardens swiddled their thumbs, no doubt worrying about the last year's crop shares or what have you, we saw the threat in Rome for what it was, and acted accordingly. Our kinfolk, the Vandals, the Visigoths, the Huns, all of them were convinced to march on Rome and lay waste to their lands. To various degrees of success, of course. The problem with an empire of that size is, eventually you just get naturalized, whether you want it or not. A couple of generations in, and our kin were speaking Latin, trading with Roman merchants, and worrying about crop shares. But we had started a fire that would eventually lead to Rome's downfall, helped by the fact that the Romans had no phone lines, of course. One side of it had no idea what the other was doing, and as our people spread throughout the empire, we made sure to sow enough discord that eventually Rome was split in twain, and with it the threat that it posed to the world to some extent. You must know, Katarina, that unlike others of our kind, the Shadow Lords put less stock in purity, if it means getting the job done. As a woman of noble birth, I am sure this is shocking to you, but you have distant relatives all across Europe, Africa, Asia, and, of course, America. Our people have valued results over purity, and that is why we, unlike the Silver Fangs, are not inbred doddering fools. Anthony shook the empty cigarette carton upside down, and a few flecks of tobacco escaped into the night air, and with a sigh he turned towards his daughter. There are many things going through your minds right now, Zotzele, so I think I will stop the history lesson here and show you what you are. Katerina shook her head, still in disbelief, 
but why should she distrust the man who had practically been her father growing up? I, I don't even know where to start, she muttered, feeling as if the rug had been pulled out from beneath her. For now we will catch a taxi out of town. I have brought with me a change of clothes for you. I doubt you'd want to ruin your dress, even though it doesn't seem to be made of much more than a few strips of fabric sewn together. After that, I will leave for a few nights, let you contemplate what you have learned, and when I am back, I will tell you more of our kind's history. The four grandchildren of Cain wait patiently for the time of judgment to arise. Snow, wise beyond his years and powerful in his compassion. Bambi Parsons, a leader with an unbreakable will. Procyon, who has been reborn as a god amongst Cain's angels, and Dugal, whose thirst for blood is matched only by his strength of will. Their childer, the Methuselah, control our every move through their timeless jihad. They are her satanic majesty Dani, whose mere presence chills the heart, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a tutor and master of the jihad, Socrates Johnson, a masterful craftsman of stories, Lauren Eason, a trustworthy ally and friend, and Alexander Kanehurst, inquisitive explorer of the world of darkness. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Zero Six, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, Raven Fang, Pilgrim, Geta Mathrox, The Autumn Alchemist, and Michelle Light, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week the Council would wish to thank the Elder Justin S. for his continued loyalty and service to our cause, as well as the Ancile Envion, who has remained a staunch supporter through times of peace and times of trouble. Naturally, all our elders, Ancile and neonates receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Because without your support, this would all be for naught. And thank you for watching. The full moon rises and the Gaia's warriors strike out into the night. Tremble, servants of the weird.